Welcome to the Volpreneur Podcast channel. Today we're talking with Susan Friedman about author marketing. So just before we get into what Susan's background is, welcome Susan to the show. Thank you, John. It's so great to be here. Cool. And we've spoken a few times, so we'll just be like an old friendly chat today. So Absolutely. It so, seems as if, yeah, it's like a, a daily occurrence. Yeah, that, it is, uh, isn't it? So I ask you for help. <laughs> We'll have to stay on track, right? All right. So, um, so Susan is a CSP, well-respected niche marketing expert who's in, on a mission to wipe out the sameness and add vitality and differentiation to the author marketing. For over 25 years through her company, Avia Publishing, which I'm not, probably not pronouncing right, she coached over 400 non-fiction authors to use their books to become recognized trusted authority in the field. Susan written, has written 17 books. She's written more than I have. I'm up to like seven now. Doing her bestsellers, meeting and event pl- planning for dummies, riches and niches, and she's appeared on a variety of radio shows and talk shows, and hosts the award-winning podcast book Marketing Mentors, which I think I'll, which I actually appeared on an episode of. So, Absolutely, yeah. Cool. So, what's a CSP then? <laughs> CSP is Certified Speaking Professional, and it's the only earned designation from the National Speakers Association. And you have an Australia Speakers Association, which is affiliated uh, to uh, our organization as well, which makes up what is known as the Global Speakers Federation. Gotcha. So. I actually went to one of those events once, uh, like took for a friend who wanted me to go. He was actually, oh, I think he was president or something of the, of the thing. Anyway, there was a really good speaker there and she was really good. She did a really good job. And then she's got this book. And by the time I got home, I'd forgotten what the book name was. And I had to Google her and try and figure out who she was. And it's quite interesting. She did a very good, impressive presentation, talked about a book and told no one where to get it. Like it was no, yeah, no. I've heard that story before. It's yeah. like, what a shame because yeah. I don't think that too many people would be as diligent as you and go and look, you know, look it up. Yeah. Because so. yeah. I, I was quite interested in the book and I made contact with it. But the thing is that she, you know, it's almost like she, you, you have to go to a bookstore and ask for it and buy it, but you're not going to remember the name. And it's like, yeah. So that's the thing about marketing is that people forget what I call the CTA, which is called action. So they don't, they comment like, oh, that's too salesy. I won't put that in because it sounds like I'm trying to sell something. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to make it subtle and let them figure it out for themselves. Um, and in marketing, and that's the dumbest really thing you can point. do. <laughs> and, you know, you know that I work with a lot of nonfiction authors in my publishing company, which, by the way, is called Aviva Publishing. Viva. But that's okay. okay. Go close. <laughs> <laughs> Very close. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, one of the biggest fears that they have is actually selling, selling Mm. and marketing, Mm. that they feel as if it's sort of like a four-letter word. Yep. And um, it, it's icky and, and they just want to stay as far away from sales and marketing as they can. It's like, you do it for me. I'm like, no, you're going to do it. I, that's not what I do. I hold your hand, but I don't do it for you. <laughs> and I think the biggest problem with marketing is that people think that, um, you know, the salespeople, you know, by definition, uh, you know, like lower level, like, re- you know, like you put them right down the bottom of the, of the funnel. But the reality is, is with it, there's nobody sells anything. Nothing ever happens, right? And so they kind of need each other. It's almost like the sales and marketing guys, you know, always have, have sort of bad rap. But the reality is, is they need each other. Um, and we actually used to run a software company and we actually had a bunch of accountants. I used to sell, we sell accounting software. And of course, bizarrely, the software company decided that they get accountants to sell it for them because it's accounting software, right? It makes sense. 
Um, but those accountants couldn't self to save themselves, right? Because they exactly. weren't wasn't their gig. And so we actually brought them in on a course and actually taught them how to sell. And one of the things we asked people, and it's a really good question to ask people, what's your um, what's your opinion of salespeople, right? And then they'll give you a bad opinion. Oh, they're sneaky, they're sales, they're tricky, they do that, do that. And I said, you just defined yourself because you're a salesperson, you're in business. So that's what you think of yourself. Well, so that's interesting to turn to turn it around like that. Yes. But you're right. I mean, they think of they think of that used car salesman, mm. and you know, I don't know if you have those in Australia, oh, but yeah, yeah. we certainly sure. have them over here in the states. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's some somehow what people associate with the word sales. Mm. Um, and yet uh, we're all in sales. We've yeah, been yeah. selling ever since we, you know, came on this earth because... You're trying to get your mum you to know, do something, right? You're in yes, sales. <laughs> you cried. As a baby, you cry, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's like, give me food. Not, they? They're so persistent, right? Like, if they want something, they're not going to give in. <laughs> exactly. Give me what I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember my son, like, they were some, some toy or whatever it was, and he got one and he wanted two. Right, and he put on, didn't put a turn on it, but he kept on it, right, on and on and on. So we went down to the shops and we got it and brought it back. He never looked looked at them again. Like he got the deal and that was it, right? It's like, it was like, he just want to keep going until he got what he wanted. But the reality is, is that I think as you get older, you kind of get less, um, I guess, more sensitive about it or something. But yeah, I think if you're on your own, if you if you think you're not in sales, you are. You're just trying to deny yourself the fact that you are. Because if yeah. you don't sell, no one does. Exactly. And and the interesting thing is too with companies and um, as you said you worked for a software company and um, the first people to go when they need to make cuts are marketing and training. Mm. Those are the first people to go mm. um, because they don't see them as helpful on the bottom line. Mm. But um, sales, of course, they need because mm. that's their lifeblood. Or so they think. They don't realize that, as you rightly said, that sales and marketing are intertwined one needs the other they can't really function without each other exactly and I think one of the things that I see a lot in websites is no customer service so you see say an author site selling something there's no way to contact them all right there's no way to actually say look I've got a problem with your website you know and you might think there's something you don't even know there's a problem right and suddenly something tells you oh, I've got a problem can't order your books and say, oh Pete, I wonder why I couldn't sell many books that's because it was a problem <laughs> right and no one has any communication tools because they don't want to think that they don't have to deal with an inquiry that they're just going to buy it and that's it right and it's just a book right and we sell books what? for a doctor and you know we get some crazy requests sometimes but those often lead to, lead to selling the book that we wouldn't have got otherwise. Well, the interesting thing is, and talking about that, is that, you know, so many authors think that they just have to put the book up on Amazon and it's going to sell itself. Yeah. And I tell them over and over again that Amazon is only a shop window. Mm. You've got to bring people to that shop window. Mm. You know, it, it's not some kind of magic that once you post your book on Amazon, then you don't have to do anything anymore because Amazon's going to take care of you. Mm. Um, and you know that as a publisher and as an author and working with authors as well. And so uh, it, it still requires the market 
marketing. It still requires you to go out there and toot your own horn and toot the book and you know your message exactly. to the marketplace. Yeah. yeah. So today we're going to talk about marketing, obviously, with authors. But I think the reality <laughs> is that. Uh, if you haven't figured that out already. Um, but the reality <laughs> is that um, it doesn't matter what you're selling a book or what you're selling. The same process is the same, right? It's no different. Exactly. And I think part of the problem is, and, I, and you probably get this too, is an author will come to you and go, I've written this fantastic book and now I want to market it. And you go, did you think about any of that before you wrote the book? You go, no, I didn't think of that. I'm going to try and make it and then I'll sell it. And what they didn't do is think about the strategy behind it and, and ask the questions about who, what, where and why, right? as far as I'm concerned. And so we're going to kind of talk about that today in terms of that. But the reality is it doesn't matter if you're selling a book or whatever, you could use this print process for anything um, in your business and it doesn't really matter. The same same response comes back ultimately. So yeah, let's start I, off by saying, you know, and this is the biggest one, is why, which market do you go after, right? Because we, when I say to someone, oh, who's this book for? You get this, oh, it's males, females between 35 and 45. Right, um, I go, wonderful, you've just selected probably 40% of the population or something, right? and it's like, that's too broad. So how do you exactly. decide, and that's the biggest problem, is, is actually deciding on a market and sticking to that market, right? Yeah, and, and people are frightened when they pick a market because they're saying, well, you know, and like you, I, I, the first question I ask is, who is this book for? Mm. And well, it's a universal message and it's for everyone. Mm. And I'm like, that's great. And how do you plan on marketing to everyone? Because not even, <laughs> yeah, the Procter and Gamble's of this world, you know, the big boys, they mm. don't do that. I mean, mm. I think Nike's one of the best examples out there, how it's departmentalized each brand, you know, mm. according to the different sports. I try buying jeans now, for God's sake. Like I went, I oh. took my son to buy jeans the other day. I said, how many wives are so many versions of jeans here? Like, you know, all for different sorts of people. Yeah. Well, it reminds me that when we first came to the uh, United States, I'm originally from England, as you know, but your listeners and uh, don't know, but uh, I came to the US and I went to a supermarket for the first time and you go down the aisles and there's just so many choices mm -hmm. and I was looking for something I recognized I was actually just looking for detergent <laughs> and I walked down the detergent aisle and it was overwhelming and mm -hmm. I have to tell you that I just broke down mm -hmm. I just cried because I I had all these choices mm -hmm. and they were just oh, it was just overwhelming I just didn't know you know which one to pick and uh, and you know when people don't know and they're overwhelmed guess what they don't buy. <laughs> yeah, use mine, never buys. Yes. And, and I think exactly. the options too. Like if you tell me too many options. And I mean, I remember when we were in Australia and we had someone come from um, actually Zimbabwe where they basically have a lot of choice over there. And they come over and they said, we can't believe how many choices you've got. All right. And it's like, it, yeah, because somehow they've kind of gone into a marketplace and they think giving people choice is going to make a difference. But sometimes it backfires on them, right? Absolutely. And, and you can learn a lot about going to a country's supermarket. 
you can learn a oh, lot without about that any shadow of a doubt. I love it. I love it. You know, this time last year we were in Australia yeah, and New Zealand, okay. and yeah. and I just adored it when we went to the supermarkets because I just wanted to see what you had on the shelves. Yeah, yeah. And actually, my girlfriend who lives in in Sydney, uh, she took me to the supermarket, and she was so proud of the fact that you could get a lot of South African products because yeah. uh, we lived in South Africa for a few years, yeah. and uh, that's where I met her, yeah. and. And so she just took me down these aisles and say, look, you can get this and you can get that. And I was like, great. You know? <laughs> and that's the funny thing, because uh, there's a big South African market in Australia, particularly in a mm -hmm. suburb called St. Ives. Um, there's like super South African Central. And they also sit in Western Australia as well. There's a big population in Western Australia because it's closer to South Africa. It's the next four hours less flight time. That's so, right. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of concentration in those ones. And it was actually quite interesting because when I was selling software, they, they because it came from South Africa, the software I was selling, they go, oh, why can't you sell it? Like, we got, like, they got 90% of the market over there. So it was easy for them. And because we had so much choice here, like, you can't believe how much choices are here. And it's like, well, well can't you just sell them? It's like they come over, and every time a South African comes over to sell in Australia, it's like Australians eat them for breakfast because they basically just. And I had a member of this guy I took a demo once, and he goes, "My God, this was hard." And I said, "Yes, because they they're not in a hurry, and they don't have they have plenty of choice." And I think that's what comes down to books, right? They're not in a hurry. No one's not usually in a hurry to buy a book, unless you've been told to buy a book and you must go buy that book for some reason. But at the same time, there's so much choice. As soon as they go doubt the, the whether they're going to press that button, then you've lost them. So that close. Well, that's why I believe in niche marketing. Mm, exactly. <laughs> because if you drill down into a niche and you can serve that niche and get mm. away from being a generalist and become known as a specialist in a particular area, you don't have that kind of competition. Mm -hmm, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, that's definitely what I do with my authors. And I've done, without even realizing it, and I'll tell you a story in a minute, but uh, with my author is that I, I really encourage them to hone in on a niche market. And you said, you know, they, they want males, females. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But, you know, what industry about, you know, are they professional? Are they in sales? Uh, you know, are they in education? Are they in healthcare? You know, what, what environment do they work in? Because the more you can niche down, um, the more likely it is that you might be the only game in town. Mm. And I think the thing is, it's interesting, I've done, done a lot of work lately with software and the same principle applies, right? And, and one of the things is if you can, when I usually talk to someone to write a book, I usually say, look, write the book to one person. I want you to imagine the person you're writing that one book, that book to that one person only. And you think, oh, that's too narrow, like just to one person. But the reality is people, you know, there's very similar, right? And, and there's, there's a niche of different types of people. So you're not unique when you think you are. It's like, sorry, Mr. Bubble, but you're not that unique, right? Because there are people like you, and that's why you get friends like you, right? And I think the danger is, is that if you don't do that, then you, you know, you should be able to talk to them as if you know them, as if you've been spying on them, if it, you know what I mean? Like you've got a bug in their office. And I've had this with clients, like, you, you, you must have a bug here. How did you know that? And I said, it's because I know that type of person. Right. Well, and often, right. well, I find often that the author is actually writing to people like themselves. Mm 
mm. especially if, if they've experienced some kind of trauma. Mm. You know, I was speaking to an author recently and she was talking about the fact that she'd written a book and she'd been sexually abused and, and uh, she wants to help other people in her type of situation. And even however hard this was for her to write, mm. she just feels she's got, you know, on a mission, mm. but she's on the mission to help people like herself. Yes. And so it's easier to determine, you know, that that person who she's writing um, for, because yeah. it's really, she's writing to herself in many ways. And in some respects, you're repelling people as well. So I mean, in marketing should be attracting and repelling. So the reality is in that situation, people who don't want to have that conversation to whatever reasons, or, you know what I mean, they're not interested in it or whatever, they're not going to, they're going to be repelled from that book. They're not going to buy that book. So, which is good because what you do is you're trying to get the people who are interested in buying the book, not the people who are disinterested in buying the book, who are going to give you bad reviews as well. Um, so you really want to make sure that you get the person that, that the book is intended for. And I think getting real clear on that um, is probably the best way. So um, in terms of like, you, let's say you work out who your customer, you know, your prospective reader is. Do you then stick to that reader forever? Do you sort of like, is it a concept of like focus on one type of reader and then move through to other types of readers rather than say, let's say you've got a, a chunk of readers and go, okay, if I break them into smaller chunks, could I then just go marketing after each of those chunks rather than, or do you stick to one chunk? Well, and I think that's a really important point. And what I tell authors is you've got to throw the pebble in the pond and the ripples will flow out. Mm -hmm. So start with one niche market, work that have a strategy, establish yourself. And then if you want, you could take that same strategy and go into another niche market mm -hmm. uh, with that same strategy, which is very interesting because, um, you know, my best-selling book, The Riches and Niches, How to Make It Big in a Small Market, yeah. um, is exactly a strategy that I use to become an expert actually in the trade show, the exhibition industry. Right, um, for twenty, right? <laughs> yeah, for twenty-five years, I was the go. Well, I had worked my way into the fact that I became the go-to expert in that environment, training exhibitors how to work trade shows because they do such a lousy job for the most part. Yeah, yeah I've and, been down to two trade shows when I was doing software and it's like, my oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I was there to train people how to do a better job. Mm. Um, and then when I lost the passion for doing that, I looked at, well, what are the strategies that I actually use, which I'm not a person who strategizes at all, you know, and so I had to sort of walk backwards in time and say, well, what did I do in order to become this go-to expert? Because is it something that could be duplicated for other people? Mm. And I actually came up with seven strategies, which is what I, how I compiled uh, the book, because I was like, oh, yeah, you know, anybody can, you know, let's say write a book. Anybody can create a name that says what you do. Mm. Anybody can go after the media. These mm. are just strategies and tactics that I used to work my way up to becoming, you know, an, a go-to authority. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a step-by-step thing, really, at the end of the day. And I think that's the... There's no no, um, myth or sort of... It's not... That's the best way. It's precise, you know what I mean? Like, it's... And it's what people, what the marketing people do anyway. Like, when you look at... You know, if you and I think that it's a study of what people do now, paying attention to that marketing. Like some people say, oh, I don't want to be marketed to. I actually love ads. <laughs> I love ads too. I mean, I love to see what other people are doing. Why? Right? Yeah. You know, well, marketing is a very inexact science, as you know, uh, which is very frustrating to anybody with an analytical mind who wants the A plus B equals C, because exactly. in marketing, A plus B equals C one day, D the next, and maybe E the next. Yeah, and you don't know what's going to work so, a lot, right? Yeah, it just, you just never know. Mm. So you just have to keep trying different things and then adjusting. It's always adjusting a adjusting adjusting to see what works and what doesn't and i guess the the thing too is let's say you wrote a book you know marketing for real estate agents or something um the reality is there's no reason you can't repurpose that book and write another book uh marketing for mortgage brokers you know there's i think in some respects people kind of say oh that's just the one book but the reality is if you if you're on that kind of niche market you can get into put their name on the book that's going to make a massive difference it's almost like the closer you can get to the person's name on it in a in a uh, title or a or a, you know like a call to action, the, the closer you're going to get to a sale, to my opinion. Well, and this is what uh, the Four Dummies series, uh, you know, Wiley John Wiley has done so well with the dummies, and then uh, Penguin has done with uh, the Idiot's Guide, and I've got a dummies book and an Idiot's Guide book, mm-hmm. and it's they've really you know done it by the topic. So my dummies book was meeting and event planning for dummies. And only people are interested (laughs) in meetings and events are going to buy that book. Mm. Mm. And they've got, you know, um, dummies for networking and dummies for fishing and fly fishing and, you know, whatever. There's a a dummies book and an idiot's guide book on, on pretty much most of the topics out there. And it's interesting, actually, one of the things I'm reading a book called The 80-20 Marketing Rule by Perry Marshall. And one of the things he says in there is um, look for someone who's got a bleeding neck because they'll want a bandage. Exactly. (laughs) Right? Well, and that's, yeah, and that's that whole niche marketing as well. If you go after a market and there's so many underserved markets out there, Mm. you know, that you can, you know, it's that that low hanging fruit that (laughs) people forget about. Yeah, you think that it's juicier at the top, but actually you can make it a lot easier for yourself if you, like you say, stick to the real estate market and then you've got buyers, you've got sellers, you've got the mortgage people, the financial people all involved in that. You've got the legal side. Um, All of those, they're different components of that same marketplace, but each one of them could be a separate niche, well, is in fact a separate niche market that if you were an expert in that market, you could go after it. Mm. So tell me something like, let's say you pick a niche market and at which point do you decide that you've you've got the wrong market it's not working because it's very interesting because what i find a lot of people is particularly websites is the classic right and i see clients change their websites every every so often every six or 12 months something's a brand new website and the reality is they visit their website more than anyone else right so they one got sick of it right and and we still always have a saying in marketing is that if you haven't upset somebody by midday you're not marketing hard enough 
right? <laughs> right? Because the reality is no one's seen you, right? So yeah. you sit there and you've, you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and the reality is you think, oh, I've given up now because it's not working. And the reality is how much of that market's really seen your stuff and do you give up and then change? Because you see these people change quickly between things. I'll try something for a month. You know, it's not working. I'll try someone else. And it's a bit like networking when you go to networking events when you can in one day, is that if you keep going to that same networking event every month for a year, you'll get noticed by the people in the event. If you just go once or twice, try to swoop in there and try and create attention and then just swoop back out again, they'll just forget about you straight away. It's about consistency over time. Well, and that's why, I mean, advertising, they talk about advertising that you've got to see a message at least seven times before it even sort of computes in your brain mm. that, um, that oh, yeah, I've seen that message and I'll remember it. I mean, so, yeah, you, it, it is. It's consistency. It's repetition. And just like your program here, you know, you're repeating it consistently. The same with my podcast. I've been doing it now for four years, my book marketing mentors podcast. And it's that consistency that every Wednesday at 3 p.m., you know, that podcast goes out, come rain or shine. Yeah. And in fact, when my father passed away a few years ago, I actually did not put it out for two weeks and I was beside myself. Mm. And, you know, Nobody noticed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody said a thing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no. And so I'm like, oh, you know, it's only me. But it's still, it is that consistency now. And then people now say to me, oh, I listen to you every week. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> and I mean, that's something I, you know, with LinkedIn, like we've got a LinkedIn marketing system that we use. And one of the things is I've used that system for, God, I don't know, five years now, right? And I've had people come and go on that system along the way. It's like they go for a couple of months and they drop back out again. And I go, how can you have got those sort of results? Like we've got hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of sales out of it every day, right? Every every day someone comes along and says, oh, yeah, I want to do business with you. But that's consistency, see? And they get used to that profile. Your profile builds up and eventually people start taking notice and then it all just falls on itself. So it's almost like eventually you'll get that effect where you've got enough marketing to put you over the edge, you start getting noticed, but you've got to keep doing it. And I think... Well, Mal Malcolm Gladwell calls it the tipping point. Mm, yeah, So exactly. you go up and up and up and up and up, and then all of a sudden you you take off. Mm. And, you know, then people notice you. I mean, it's the same. I had a mentor many years ago who said it takes 15 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I don't want, I mean, I was, uh, when I say this uh, in my uh, presentations, and I say, but I don't want you to take 15 years, but it's not necessarily going to happen overnight. No. And if it does, it's sort of like an overnight wonder, a one minute wonder. Mm. They're here and gone. I mean, yeah, you just get on people. TV, I'll be, a, I'll be a millionaire, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen. Mm. Well, occasionally. I won't say it never happens. Mm. Uh, it's like when an author comes to me and I say, well, you know, what do you want this book to do for you? And, well, I want to sell a million copies. And I'm like, okay, and how big is your database? Mm. Well, I don't have anybody on my database yet. Mm. I'm like, well, I'm not going to say you can't do it, but I'm going to say the chances are pretty unlikely. Let's get a little more realistic with this. <laughs> Take a couple of zeros <laughs> off that number maybe to start. With. <laughs> to start. Let's start a little smaller. Let's go for the hundreds and then the thousands and then build from there. 
Yeah. Although I don't really like selling books in onesies and twosies. I prefer selling them by, you know, the, the thousands and the millions if we can. How do you think that's... By the way... Yeah, so what's the best Sorry. way to think about that? Like, that's the thing about what people do is, like, they're trying to sell one book at a time. But the reality is, like, particularly a speaking engagement, one of the things that they said to me once was that if you bundle your books into your speaking engagement, and, and nowadays it's probably a little harder, you know, with Zoom, it's not impossible, is to actually say, look, my, part of my speaking fee, you get so many books. Exactly. And that's a way of kind of getting that into that, getting the hands of those people who actually walk away with a book. I mean, that person did this talk, I don't think she even had a book in on. She had one book. That was it. She didn't even have a book for sales. Like she just did the talk, right? Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, she was doing herself a disservice because actually, you know, even if you have back of the room sales, mm. you get sales because. You know, if people liked you, they want to take a piece of you home. Exactly. And that piece of you is your book. Mm. So yeah. it, it's like it's like a souvenir. It's like a memento, you know, when yeah, you go yeah, on vacation. Yeah. It's the same sort of mentality mm. that, uh, that people have. But going back to selling multiple copies of your book at any one time, uh, my very first book, uh, Exhibiting at Trade Shows, Tips and uh, Tips and Techniques for Success. Let me get that right. <laughs> and uh, that was by, um, and I'm blocking on the name now, but that doesn't matter. But it was a just a less than 100 pages. And I was like, who could I sell this book to? Mm. And I looked at my target market in the trade show arena and I thought, well, who wants this kind of book? And so I went to the, the people who make the stands, the booths, mm. and, and I said, hey, would you like to buy these for your, um, for your customers? Mm. And we can, you know, put your president's, uh, a letter from the president in the front mm. and a different cover on the book. It could be yours, and lo and behold, they bought a thousand, and they liked it so much they bought another thousand. So it took me as long to sell two thousand books, mm. and then I tried the same strategy with. Um, I thought, well, I've been to the people who make custom exhibits. Let me go to the people who make portable exhibits. Mm. So I went to them and I said how would you like to have this? Well, they said, it's too expensive. It's too big. Mm -hmm. Could you do a smaller version? So I rewrote it in, you know, so that it fit what they needed. Mm -hmm. They just wanted sort of more of a booklet that they could send out to their prospects. And um, they bought over the course of, a couple of years they bought half a million books and nice. had them translated into five languages wow so it's um that was the power of being in a niche market because you understand it see then you can actually go and target it so you know exactly. where exactly right? you know where to fish exactly. the biggest problem is in big pond you know you could all sorts of fishes but if you know where the fish sit well, you've got a good chance of finding them in that pond right yes yes yeah, just go and fish where the fish are. Yeah, and you know, not try are. and. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a big pond. <laughs> it's a very big pond. Hey, and that's what I mean. Hey, what about the fish on my yeah, book? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Going in the opposite direction. This, yeah, yeah, this yeah, has yeah. got to be you. <laughs> yeah. It's got blue ocean, red ocean, right? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> which is another great book. Yeah, that, yeah. that's out there. But I think, yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, I think that's the biggest problem is people don't want to do that niche thing. They don't want to get down deep in and think about too much about who they're writing to and who they're writing for. But then well, as, soon as you do that, the marketing gets so much easier, right? Because then you can just start going. Absolutely. Oh, you can be much more efficient and effective with a market that is targeted. Hmm. And it's that fear of going out and being, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss out on sales hmm. if I become a specialist rather than a generalist. Hmm. And, and that's not the case because actually, as a specialist, you can actually charge more. I mean, just think hmm. about, um, you know, the medical profession. You know, if you had a child with a heart condition, mm -hmm. you know, which would you prefer to take him to, you know, a GP, a generalist, an internist, or would you prefer that pediatric cardiologist who specializes mm -hmm. in children's heart conditions? Yeah. And That's look at the difference the in terms <laughs> yeah, of what the two might charge for their services. Mm -hmm. So the specialist definitely um, can charge more. So, uh, yeah, don't negate that at all. And, you know, whether you're an author or whatever industry you're in, I mean, the niche marketing concept applies to anyone in business as far as I'm concerned. And I think the thing is that I always say to, to, to authors, and so you need to be something to someone, nothing, you don't want to be nothing to no one. Exactly. And, and the more you're trying to be something to someone, you know, out there, mm. it, it's like... Uh, <laughs> If you make it too big, it, it's just, it's going to get overwhelming and you're not going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And so when, when you're targeted, you can write about it. You can, um, you can do, you know, YouTube, you, social media that is all targeted uh, to that particular audience. And obviously you're doing that well on LinkedIn if you're mm -hmm. getting business from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's, but, I, but very precise in LinkedIn. You can say, I'm looking for this sort of person to do this sort of thing. And LinkedIn's got a great search tool. So when we do a connection, I'm at the moment you know, going after authors, existing authors for an offer. I say, I'm looking to connect to, to authors who, you know, are interested in bestseller. So that's the question I ask when I connect to them. All right. So you're already framing it to start with. This is the mm -hmm. sort of person I'm looking for, for this reason. All right. And imagine people still connect and go, I'm not an author. I said, what, you, you didn't read it? <laughs> you, know, you didn't read anything. Well, that's what happens, right? People don't read, listen, or pay attention. Yeah. And so you got But to, I could you, make you a bestseller if you wanted. Let's do that, right? And so something I would love to do a book. So it's, it's created their interest because it's connected those words together because people don't read everything completely, right? They just look no. at key words. And it's, and it's interesting you were talking about repurposing material because I think one of the things that authors tend to do is that they have this? They write the book. They're exhausted by the time they've done that book. They launch it, and then thing just dies off. And I've still got. I was checking the other day a couple of authors that we did books years ago, and their book's not even on their website. They talk about their book. They've got a picture of their book, but no link to buy that book. And you think you got sick of it? You actually got to a point where you just got sick of the book because you'd seen it so much. You thought that was it. That you'd done enough work for the book. I don't have to do anything. I'll move on to the next pretty shining object. And I'll leave that book in as, but the reality is you've got a thumb. Like, um, you can you know, do like, so much with that book. That's right. I mean, and so, each yeah. chapter could be broken up into, you know, a booklet and you can create checklists. You can be a, create tip sheets. I mean, you can create so many different things out of just one book. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Mm. It can keep you going for a long time. <laughs> 
So one of the things that we, you know, I'm doing is we're launching a podcast platform and we're looking at, and to me, it's like, the, what's the laziest way you can do marketing, right? Um, because if you do it, if you're doing tough and you're going to, like in your situation, you set yourself a goal and said, okay, I'm going to do this podcast every week or every month. Um, and that's your, that's your content creation goal, right? And something else that's more about you getting it done and, and being responsible to get it done. And I think that's part of the problem is that consistency over time. But what people do is they try to do too much, right? I've seen them on Facebook. They'll come up and they'll do a Facebook Live every day for a month and you'll never mm-hmm. see them again, right? Yeah. That's it. They've done that and they never do it. It's where they could have done a Facebook Live every month for a year and, and been able to sustain it in that situation. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I've, as I said to you, I've been doing this weekly for four years, bar the few weeks that I took off when my father passed away. But, um, and I feel it's only now that it's actually starting to gain momentum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, at times I was like, is this worth it? And I'm like, yes, just keep at it. I enjoy doing it. And so long as I enjoy doing it, um, I can be of benefit to my target audience. And so this interesting thing that we talk about repurposing, right? Because the reality is, is that if you've done a podcast interview or you've done a podcast, you've created content. But the reality is that content is useful for other purposes. Like, for example, you can make a blog post out of it. You can make a video out of it. You can you know, make an email out of it, you know, like mark an article in LinkedIn out of it, right? That's another thing people don't think about is an articles in LinkedIn work really well too. Is so that you gotta have that repurposing kind of strategy, right? Exactly. But you've got to think like that. And, mm. um, you know, I, I mean, I like cutting and slicing and dicing uh, the material that I have because I'm lazy. I don't want to, re- you know, have to think of something new, yeah. but take what I've got and repurpose it, as you said. I mean, I love doing tip sheets, for instance, and they're so easy to do. Yeah. And, you know, in a book, you've got hundreds, if not thousands of tips. Mm. And you can turn those tips into checklists and you can do a special report and you can do the podcast and your articles and blog posts and memes and all of those different things. It's all in the one book. You don't have to go anywhere else for new information because if you're the expert in the subject, just keep tossing out that expertise. <laughs> and it's interesting, isn't it? Like, I think the whole getting sick of it scenario, because you think of something like Colgate toothpaste, right? It's probably the most boring thing ever, right? <laughs> Look how long it's been on the market. <laughs> it only took, like, year, I think it was 10 or 20 years to convince people to use toothpaste, by the way. Oh, like, really? it wasn't something that just tomorrow they started using toothpaste. Yeah. That was something that took time. Well, you have um, to educate people yeah, and it took about like something a, new. Yeah, to get market saturation for TV, right? Mm-hmm. The average product now's market saturation is like a year or two, in comparison, because the marketing's so much, you know, faster. Well, and we've got so many different more more avenues exactly. to go after uh, to use marketing. I mean, before it was what was it, print ads and and, yeah. and maybe radio, and when television came along, it was television. But before that, yeah. It was print. And I think that's the biggest problem. So if you were trying to market toothpaste, um, that's a tough gig, right, to keep that relevant for that long time and keep marketing. Because if you look at it, in my opinion, that everything you use on a daily basis is something, generally speaking, that's marketed. You would have seen an ad for it. You see another ad for it. You drive in a car, use toothpaste, watch a TV. You know what I mean? Like everything you use is marketed. People say marketing doesn't work, but it does. Because every single thing you use 
Of course it does. And you know what? New and improved. Dynamite words to use. Yeah, new. Dynamite. (laughs) Secret's the best word. Like, there's no other word but secret. People go, I don't like the word secret. I said, but it works. You're going to tell somebody secrets? Exactly. People love secrets. Mm. The secret ingredient. We have got the secret ingredient to help make your teeth whiter, you know. (laughs) I bet you you KFC secret ingredient isn't as exciting as you think, right? (laughs) It's like, it's probably some herb, something that tastes pretty good. That's it. And so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, you know, we get into habits of, of doing things and using certain products. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is, I mean, there's an education that goes on. But, you know, if you're an expert in an area or you want to be known as an expert in an area, you've got to toot your own horn uh, about that expertise mm-hmm. and keep at it. Just keep at it and keep at it. It's like chipping away. And, uh, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. I think we've sort of come, come full circle with that because we said it, it, it's going to take a little bit, but it's possible. And I believe if you, it's easier when you find that niche market than yeah. is it. And it's interesting said. actually because of that, like you, I see a lot of times when authors write one book, right? And they're going, and they're almost talking about their next book even before the first book hasn't come out, right? So they're talking about writing that next book, right? Mm-hmm. So they think they're um, going to be something like, you know, uh, going to write multiple books over time and that's going to make a difference. What they do is they kind of left that book go. And I was just recently, I actually looked at a book that I had written called Everything You Know About Marketing Is Wrong. And that was written a few years ago. And I reper- went back and redid that book, essentially, re- reformatted it, went through the whole book, found mistakes that were or things that needed to change because things had changed over time, repurposed mm. it, um, put a new edition out, and that month we sold more books. Like suddenly the book sales went up. Just put the book well, I think something, too, that's really important is if you write about an evergreen topic, mm. and then, as you said, I mean, marketing is an evergreen topic. Mm. However, some of the tools change over time mm. and, you know, it's easy to update it. But the, the marketing concepts haven't changed. No, exactly. The core the core message of the book is the same. But the mm. inside the book is like there's URLs and, and the old day when I used to put too many website addresses in books. And mm. now I say no, say to my authors, you only had one. <laughs> right, everything goes to one place, right? Because they yeah. they think they're going to maintain all these websites, but they never do. Yeah. So you end up in that situation where the customer journey is bad because they go to a website that doesn't exist anymore, and it's the goodest best way to lose a a, a reader or a prospect is you go to a website that doesn't work anymore. Um, and so I think that whole thing of making it bulletproof in that process, thinking about the customer journey, but then going deep on that content, right? So you almost your book becomes your marketing plan for the next five years. You know, mm-hmm. well, there's plenty of books out there that are, that continually get purchased every day. I mean, you want to you want to say the Bible's one of them, right? That like that book is is going along. Like That's been around for quite a long time, and right. I think it's, every day. it's like, do you think um, you know if the guy who wrote that book was thinking, oh, I'm sick of this book now. I'm not going to market it anymore. I'm going to write a new one. Going to write a new Bible. It's like, well, you confuse your marketplace, wouldn't you? <laughs> right. And so I think at the end of the day, it's like you know you look at some of those books like um, Entrepreneurial Myth. Um, you know, there's all sorts of Books out there that's basically been there for 20, 30, 50 years. Mm. Stable, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You know, all these books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all those books are all continually marketed to stay. And I think that's what people don't realize is they kind of move on to something when they really haven't done it justice. They haven't really invested back 
I reckon you should invest as much time in marketing book in terms of time as you spent writing it, at least. Oh yeah, without any shadow of a doubt. You spent a year marketing that book. You know as well as I. I mean, people put so much uh, time, energy, money into getting the book out, Mm. you know, in physical form, and then it's like, okay, now I've given birth to this baby. You know, you take care of it for me. Well, no. You know, is this this is your firstborn? Uh, yes. Are you going to put it out to you know to an orphanage, uh, somebody else to take care of? I mean, I don't think so. And you yeah. know what? Nobody else has got the passion for your material. Yeah, you're the best you. copywriter at the end of the yeah. day. I mean, the best person to sell, you know, my stuff is me, and the best person to sell your stuff is you. Mm. because you've got the passion for it. I've got the passion for mine. And, and yeah, and as long as that passion, you know, that fire in the belly is still burning, then you're good. But if, you, you know, it isn't burning and maybe there wasn't even a real passion there in the first place, mm. that's when you're going over uh, looking for the next uh, shiny object. Marketing is like the stock market to me. Like if you don't, mark, if the stock market knows when is a dud, right mm-hmm. they see the activity they know the numbers and i think at the end of the day is marketing's the same way it goes up and down but your value and your marketing and your share price if you like is all to do with how much work you do and how much communication you do with investors that's an interesting analogy i'd not thought of it like that but i like that analogy it's yeah. really good <laughs> it, by the way too so i just thought there you go um but yeah i mean i think that's the pre and also i think what people forget about in, in books is there's different sorts of people looking at your book pages. And I, there's a guy I interviewed years ago in a summit that said, when someone visits your website, there's at least seven types of people coming to your website. Do you cater for all those different sorts of people? Mm. And most people cater for one of them or two of them if they're lucky. They don't cover they don't cover all the others. And it was a really good interview with the guys on my virtual summit, which I won't even tell you what it says, but it was very good because he actually said, okay, these are the strategies you need to lay out to actually think about um, all this traffic and how you can actually deal with them when they come to your page. Because you just think someone's just going to buy your book. But it could be a media person coming in to figure out whether they can do an interview with you on podcasting or, exactly, or yeah. they just discovered your book and they love it and they go to your website and get nothing from you. There's no, there's no even way to contact you, right? So you haven't thought about that or there's no media pack. And I think that's the thing you got to remember is when you're doing a book, there are components and there's different types of people that you're marketing to, not just the reader. It's the friend of the reader. The people's going to recommend to that reader. There's the marketing. There's there's the book club that might decide to pick your book up and read it, right? Yeah. No, that I mean, that's a really valid point because the fact is that you're only thinking in terms of, you know, one buyer mm. who, you know, who's going to come and you think that everybody's going to come as a buyer, but you're right. It, it isn't. It's um, like the media. The media do go to websites. They do look at your LinkedIn profiles. They do look you up on, on social media. How do you make it for them? You know, and, and I say a lot of people with social media, right, if you don't have a lot of followers, particularly Twitter is the worst, right? You don't have a lot of followers, don't put the link on your website, mm. <laughs> right? Because you think you're doing the right thing because the web designer guy told you to put all the links of your social media up there, right? So then you go and check and find they've got five followers on, 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 on Twitter, right? Well, the reality is that that completely destroyed your brand now. So if you're looking at your brand and you're looking at people going on various social media, I say own your own social media. But if you think you're going to have a Twitter account, you're going to own, not market it, don't promote it. 
right? Don't say to me, oh, come join my Twitter account. You go there and it's like five people there, right? I had some of the other day, I saw this promotional guy for TED Talks, right? He said that they would get you viewed on TED, you know, get your TED Talk viewed. So very niche market, very well done, going mm-hmm. after TED Talks and marketing those people, great. And probably a bleeding neck because they're probably not getting enough views. So excellent at that start. Went to their website, tried to find their social media, could, didn't have any social media links at all on their website, did a bit more research, came across their Facebook page, it's got 10 likes, I think, no, no. Sorry, I was the first like that ever been on their Facebook page, right? No YouTube page, nothing. And they're saying they're going to market you and get you known and get all these views. Yet when I look at them and the face value, so how are you going to do that? You, you haven't convinced me that you can actually do the job um, because you don't have any social media. You don't have any present. You've got this website you knocked up and that's it. So you can't prove to me that you, anyone even accepts you or whatever or even knows about you anymore. So that social proof is very important. That social proof is really important. And you make me feel very guilty because social media is definitely not my thing. And I know it needs to be, even though if you look at my sites, you'll see that I've got uh, hundreds, if not thousands of followers. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people (laughs) and they all want to follow me. And I'm like, okay, that's great. I'm not sure what you're following me for at this point. And I think... (laughs) One of the things is laziness for us because what we did with my platform was we set up an RSS feed. So what people, if they don't understand what RSS feed is, basically when you post something, a feed reader reads it. So with podcasting, that's how a feed feed is just exactly, and that's what we got with ours. Yeah. And so what we did is we created that for blogs as well, and then we just plug it Uh, into our social media, uh, all our social media platforms. So someone creates a blog on on their own platform, and it punches it out to all those social media platforms instantly. What's happened is you didn't have to repurpose your content on all those different platforms without actually having to do anything. And so I think yeah. that kind of, and the same thing, and another thing I noticed a lot of people is that you know, on Amazon, you know, you've got an author central account, which most people don't know they got. Um, you can plug your, your feeds into that as well. You can plug your podcast and your blog into that and you feed content into Amazon. So when they click on your book and they click on your name, which they're going to do because it says that, click on my name, right? And you click on your name, you get, what do they say about you, right? And I think that's the, is the thing is that you, if you've got all this content, re, like it's talking about repurposing, make sure that it actually gets seen, <laughs> not just one place. Like you write a blog article, and that's it. It doesn't go anywhere else. Well, I know every time that you and I talk, there's always something that comes up and I'm like, oh, my goodness, John's got so much to teach me. <laughs> and I think it's just it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a concept of doing it over and over again. You do it so many times, you get used to it, it becomes a natural thing that you know about this stuff and you talk to someone and go, I've no idea. Um, spend a day with someone who's got no clue and you realize how much you actually know, right? I'm not saying you don't even know what's going on, but the reality is what happens is you end up in a situation where if you do it long enough, you become an expert, you see things that other people don't see and then eventually it becomes, you know, oh, I just know that, you know, I know that. And the reality is there's some really basic stuff, like, that, like you're talking about checklists, right? That basic stuff, people don't know it. You think they know it. They think they underestimate the intelligence of the reader sometimes. Like the reader is reading your book to understand what you're talking about and you're assuming they already know. They don't. Never assume. Never yeah. assume. You yeah. know what that stands for, making an ass of you and me. Yeah, so exactly. yeah. it, it's like absolutely. And and you make a really good point there because um, people want the 101, even though they think they want the PhD level. Mm. Uh, it, it's really the 101 basics mm. because they 
either they're not doing the basics or they forget the basics mm. and they need the basics because that is the foundation. And that's why going back to the dummies series or the idiot's guide series, that's exactly what role those books filled mm. was to explain all the things that people just don't understand. Yeah. So, and, and that's yeah. something to be careful of because people don't know as much as they think they do. And I think the end of the day is, going after that customer that actually doesn't understand is a great place to be because they're going to appreciate everything you tell them and they're going to understand it and they're going to hoover up more information. Whereas if you say to someone, I already know this, and and so that's getting right into that issue and understanding that that person is going to benefit from your book. I remember meeting, the first first book I ever wrote, right, which is a, the bizarrest title, I can't even remember the title because it's made it too long. It's, like, <laughs> it's my test book, right? I just wrote this book. And I didn't do too badly. I did all the mis- everything I could have done wrong. But anyway, I had this meeting with this guy. He rang, he emailed me or something, and he and he lived locally, and he's written a lot of books. Like this guy writes a book a week. My God, he writes. A- anyway, he, we have a coffee, and he brings out. And what he did, this is because he didn't have a printed copy of my book, so somebody managed to print my ebook. And he's got the ebook out, and he's got all these notes and stuff. He'd gone through this book thoroughly, like every page he'd written notes. And, and so we spent like an hour in this coffee shop where he asked me follow-up questions from this book about internet marketing it was. And most of the stuff I thought, everybody knows this stuff. I was just like putting it in one place, you know, didn't really think much of it. But this guy had read it from cover to cover, analysed it all, and had all these follow-up questions. And I thought, Wow. Like, I didn't even, that was never what I thought would happen. You know what I mean? Like, you don't think someone's going to read it from cover to cover and drag it out. And he did. And I think that's the thing. You don't know what's happening at the other end of that book and what they might Well, and, and I think it goes back to assuming that people know. And when you know something, you think everybody else knows what you know. Mm. But that couldn't be further from the truth mm. because everybody's got different experiences. Everybody's had different exposure to different things in their life. Mm. And they know one thing and you know another. And I know when I interview my guests on my Book Marketing Mentors podcast that um, – I make sure that they're not talking any sort of jargonese yeah. because I never want to assume that my listeners know what they're saying. And I said, well, you know, just for the listeners, can you explain exactly what that means? Mm. Because I don't want to assume that they know what they're talking about, even though I might know what it is. Mm. I never want mm. to assume that. So, yeah, I like to dumb it down and that's why writing for dummies and, you know, for Idiot's Guide was, it was a fabulous lesson because you really had to keep everything basic. And I remember when it, the books were being edited that uh, the editors came back and they said, well, you need to explain this because it's not clear. And I was like, yeah. okay. That's the power <laughs> so, of editing, right? I think what happens, editing and proofreading, people read things, I don't understand what you're talking about because mm-hmm. you can't do your own read, editing and proofreading. You so. can't. You can't. Not at all. I can't even see my own mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Playing see my in our own. business is called assumptions. The mother of all stuff ups. Actually, there's another word used for that. But basically, it's like, <laughs> and, and that's the thing is, you're assuming that people know stuff and they don't. Yeah. Um, exactly. And, and you can go back Never to the assume. basics. Yeah. Yeah. Never assume. Be yeah. Be basic, and it's the basic books that that sell more than anything else. And how-to books. Mm. When authors come to me and they've got these fancy, you know, titles and subtitles, and I'm like, yeah, you can have it as a title, but definitely tell the audience, you know, what's this book about? Is it's it? 
it's what a how-to book. People mm. love how-to books. Mm. Yeah, book blueprints. You know, anything that's sort of like in a scenario where they're, they're really uh, take your systems. knowledge. Yeah, put in in a decade, in a day, and basically get that out. And I think that's the where the people sort of why the people buy books mostly is to speed speed things up, right? They're, they're strong exactly. Song. And um, yeah, so cool. Well, we probably went longer than expected, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we didn't run out of stuff to talk about. Oh, no, no, sure. we should like part two, part three. <laughs> It's really funny, actually. I've looked over some of the podcast interviews and I think we're probably almost, it's almost like a trick I've managed to come up with is that I've somehow managed to make it 52 to 53 minutes, right? And it's like, I have never intentionally done that. But it's almost <laughs> like, I think it comes up to the hour and some people yeah, just move over. Exactly. It's interesting. I managed to kind of keep around that range. So it's all pretty good. Um, so if someone wants to talk to you and, and get access to what you do and what and basically what... Um, you know, talk talk more about maybe marketing their book, and I know that we've done a, a new um, marketing university, author marketing university um, website for you and stuff like that. But what's the best way to contact you now is through a website? So my Aviva Publishing website is going to be reconstructed. So I'm going to send people to my uh, book marketing mentors, even though it's the podcast mm -hmm. website. Uh, it's got a wonderful schedule, a, a call with me. And absolutely, I'd love to give your listeners a 15, 20 minute um, call where we talk about, you know, their niche market and uh, just to better understand what, uh, what they want to do and what's the best market for them to uh, specialize their products or services in. No. So, yeah, go to the bookmarketingmentors.com website. And uh, I've also got a special gift for your listeners. Um, consultation, as I say, 15, 20 minutes, and then a copy of the Riches and Niches book. Nice. You, I've got a PDF copy that love for you to uh, share. And then I've got 10 questions, how to find your niche market. And uh, people really like those. So um, I'd love to give that to your listeners as well. No dramas. We might even set up a set a bit of a special link there and give them the extra information to grab it. That's great. So really Excellent. appreciate that. That's good. No um, all right. So thank you so much. Um, Thank you, John. Going for hours and, and, you know, like at the end of the day, it's probably people going to go, I've got to do something now. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think both you need And I didn't even notice. ask you about the website, the Author yeah, Market exactly. University yeah. website. So, yeah. so <laughs> and I that's think... another, they can go and sign up for the course too. The exactly. AuthorMarketingU.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's probably a great place to start. Like I think it's the clearer you get on your, your perfect customer, the better off you're going to market, the simpler it is, the laziest, lazy you can be because I think trying to market everyone is so exhausting. Um, yeah. Most marketers never attempt that um, in any way. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, Susan, and we'll talk. Thank again. you.